private journey with Jesus is just the beginning. Connecting with others intensifies our light. Together we bring hope to the world. Christ, you, me, Cola. Kia ora whanau. Good to see you guys. You guys doing good? Um, so right now we have an exciting moment. So we're actually jumping into a brand new series. So we're finishing up where we've been for the last kind of few months as we were doing the It's Okay Not to Be Okay series. And then we had a few weeks cut out for Easter. And now we're moving into this new block uh, c- called Collab, which is short for Collaboration but collab just sounds cooler and trendier. And our graphics person could make it look a lot more hips by shortening it. So if you're wondering what collab means, that's what it is. Uh, but as we begin today, I'd just like to uh, just begin with prayer before we look at the word. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. And I thank you for how much you love us. Uh, I thank you that your love doesn't stop because of uh, race or ethnicity or income or sin or disability or sickness, but your love passes through and you love us all. And I thank you that your love is working through us to bind us together into you. As we look at your scriptures today, we pray that your love would awaken us to who you are and would awaken us to our brother and sister sitting next to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, So this morning, uh, we're going to begin by looking at other people. Uh, now, I don't know if I should be allowed to say this as a pastor uh, because I'm supposed to love everyone, but I feel like I have a complicated relationship with other people. Sometimes they're wonderful, and sometimes I'd much rather be at home on my couch watching Netflix, not having to talk to anyone. Now, I may be the only one, but I think often how we relate with other people can become really awkward and confusing because sometimes we're used to doing our own things. And let me give you an example. You're, you're at the supermarket doing your shopping, right? in your own world. And when I, like when I go shopping, I get in the zone, I put on headphones, I don't wanna see anyone, I just wanna get the job done. And while you're shopping, out of the corner of your eye, you catch someone from work or from church or from school. And I don't know if you do this, but I sit there and I have this internal wrestle like, oh no, do I acknowledge them or do I just keep on going like I haven't seen them? And I try and normally I like put my head down and be like, I'm just shopping until they see me. And then you're like, oh, hey, I didn't see you there. Hi. And you have the conversation with them and you have a chat and it's nice. It's never as bad as it can be built up in your mind to be. And then once the conversation is winding down, you say, hey, look, it's really good to see you. Uh, we'll catch you around. Yeah, that sounds good. See you later. I'll catch you around. And you go off on your shopping. You're like, cool. Awkward situation averted. Everything is fine. And so you keep on shopping until you turn around the corner, go down another aisle. And who do you see at the end of the aisle? The same person again. And now you're caught of, do you continue a conversation with them again? Or do you just like, hey, what do you do? And it's this awkward moment where you kind of like wave at them. And then you go around and you go to the checkout aisle and you think you're free from them until you look to your right and they're in the aisle right next to you. And then you're like, oh, now I have to keep talking to you. So you make chit chat. Oh, what are the odds? You buy good stuff. Me too. And you go through your checkout aisle until you finish. And you're like, oh, finally, this awkward situation can finish. And you're at the, you're at the outside. You're like, all right, hey, this time, really good to see you. I'm going to head off to my car now. See you later. And then you both turn the same direction and walk towards your car that are right near each other. Has that ever happened to you? It's this horrible, awkward thing. And the same thing also happens if you were ever in school. It's that moment when you're in class and your teacher looks out and says, all right, class, for this next thing, 
we need you to split up into groups and you're going to be doing this project as a group. To which usually, in my experience, divides into two halves. You have half of the people who go, oh, no, because they're the smart ones who they know are about to do all the work for everyone else. And then you have all the people who are like, yes, because you're just hoping that you get stuck in the same group as the really smart girl. Um, and so what it is, is I think it's often our relationship with other people can be complicated because you don't know how to relate to them. And truth be told, in New Zealand and in lots of other Western nations, but particularly in nations with a British heritage, we are a lot more used to an individualistic society. We have our things, we have our home, we have our land, we have our fence that we fence off our land so that we don't have to worry about whether our land is bordering anyone else's land. We, even the way our society is structured is just structured around the individual as the supreme person. So an individual's rights are the foundation of our society with our Bill of Rights. You have certain unalienable things that cannot be taken away from you as an individual, a freedom to say what you want, a freedom to worship, worship as you want. Our society is structured that way. And so for a lot of things, it's great. Uh, the flip side is because we can be so easily individualistic, that same system can come back and actually make it quite difficult for us. So, yep, you've got a lot of rights, but that means that we all have the same opportunity, right? So if you're poor or can't find a job, then it's, it's your fault. There's something wrong with you because you can't seem to get, get ahead in the world that the rest of us can. Or if you're kind of falling behind the trend and you don't know the cool hip language or the right clothes to wear, well then that's, that's your fault because you're an individual and it's your responsibility to keep up with the times. We're very much structured into this individual. We are the sole responsible people for our own selves and our own lives. And what you'll notice is that it's, for us, it's really easy, if we come from a Western nation, it's really easy for us to transcribe that individualistic mindset onto faith. And so faith, when we talk about it, becomes a scheme like this. Our religion, our faith in Christ is about Christ in me. The language we use that's most important is you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You know you're doing a good job when in the morning you've had a personal devotional quiet time where you separate yourself from everyone and read the word, just you and God. All across the West, you'll find sermon series focused on finding your calling or your purpose or understanding God's plan for you. You hear, you hear how that faith begins to scheme into a system like this, where it's about me and Jesus, and that's my Christianity. And now some of you probably rightly could say, but actually Christians have done heaps of evangelism. We do heaps of outreach and we do heaps of work trying to tell other people about Jesus. And that's true. We do do a lot of that. But I think if we're honest, a lot of the ways that we tell people about Jesus is propagating the same scheme of it's about you and Jesus. So we run and we do alpha courses or we share the gospel in a way that says, well, I want you to find your personal relationship with Jesus. Or I want you to know and believe in Jesus so that you can go to heaven. I want you to know faith so that you can have your own system like this. And then when we come and gather to church, what we have is a whole bunch of vertical lines of each of us having our own personal relationship with Jesus where we come for what we want and we get what we need and then we go home so that we can do what we want. It's really, really easy for those of us in this culture, in this society, to drift into that mindset of faith being a personal, individual event. 
The only difficulty with that is while there are some merits to that, and there's some very profound truths about having a personal relationship with Jesus, it's not really the full picture of the gospel that we get. It's much wider. And so what we're going to be doing in this whole next series is we're going to be looking through the book of Philippians together, working through passage by passage, verse by verse. We're going to be going through this book over the next few weeks. And as we look, we're going to find this one dominating theme of partnership or collaboration. And what you're going to find is Paul in the gospel and how he shares the gospel with people is widening this definition. So it's no longer just a vertical line, but it gets a little bit wider. Now, Philippians is a, it's a quite a unique book. We've got a lot of letters in the new Testament. We have Ephesians, we have Corinthians, we have Galatians and truth be told about most of these letters. We actually don't know. We know some, but we actually don't know heaps about the context. We don't know many of the names of the people who went there. We know kind of where they were located, but we don't know necessarily the origins and stories. One of the things that's unique about Philippians is we actually have the beginnings of the church written out for us. If you read through your Bibles, you'd notice in, in Acts 16, there's this moment where Paul, who'd previously been working kind of over in Israel on this side of the Mediterranean, gets a vision where someone from Greece calls him and says, come and share the gospel with us. And so Paul gets on a ship and he sails across the Mediterranean. He lands in a region of Greece called Macedonia. And the key city of Macedonia was Philippi. And in Philippi, he went and he found some women praying by a stream. Lydia and a few of the women that she was with. And he shares the gospel with them. And they all hear it, receive it, fall in love with Jesus. And the beginnings of a new church is born on the outskirts of Philippi with a bunch of women. And so then Paul goes into Philippi and begins to preach the gospel. And hopefully some of this is familiar that as he preaches the gospel, there's a woman who's possessed by a demon and she's a slave. And her job has been to go out and tell the fortunes of people who came into the city. And she was owned by these two slave masters. And so when Paul and Silas came into the city, she followed them around saying, do you know who these people are? They're proclaiming Jesus as the son of God. Beware them, beware their message. They're here to upset our city. And in one of the most fascinating chapters of Acts, you see Paul cast out this demon in the most like unscrupulous way. Normally I'd think if someone's going to cast out a demon, it'd be like, it seems like it'd be mo motivated by like concern for the person or care. But when you're reading through Acts, you almost get the impression that Paul's put up with this girl trailing them and saying all these things until finally he's like, all right, I can't take it anymore. You need to leave her. And then suddenly this demon gets cats out and we read through it. Like that's normal. And I look at it like, how can you wait that long? This is insane to me that he took so long to anyway. Um, so this woman, the demon gets cast out and then, which is wonderful for the slave girl, but terrible because now she can't make money to her slave owners. So her slave owners rile up the city courts and officials and actually get Paul and Silas arrested they're stuck in jail. And then comes the really famous passage where then God sends an earthquake and it shakes free their chains and it opens up all the doors. And in the midst of the dust, the jail owner looks out and thinks that all of the prisoners have escaped. And so knowing that he's going to be killed anyway, he pulls out his sword ready to end his life. When you hear Paul call out, no, wait, stop. We are all still here. Don't do it. And that day, Paul led the jail owner and his entire family to the Lord. And so the church in Philippi was born of Lydia, a woman who died cloth for the wealthy, 
a few of her friends, a slave girl, and a Roman soldier. The most unlikely of groups thrown together by the gospel. And here you have the beginnings of this church in Philippi. And so where we come to this letter is actually 10 years after all that happened. Paul's continued to share the gospel in all these different cities and all these different places. And well, following true to mostly what happens to Paul in Acts is he was arrested again. Uh, this time though, he appealed to Caesar himself. And so the courts took him all the way from Israel back across the Mediterranean to Rome, to the very heart of the empire at the time. And we read it through and we think, oh, of course, that's naturally what would happen. But Paul being in Rome was the most climactic, pivotal thing. Because for so long, Christianity was seen as this weird cult. It was seen as this offshoot of Judaism. So they were kind of Jewish because they worshiped the Jewish God, but they weren't Jewish because they also worshiped this guy who was crucified as the Lord and Savior of everything. And so it's this fascinating moment as Paul is in prison, it's kind of like, what is Rome going to do with this new cult that is spreading all across the city, all across the nation? And so it's pivotal. And you can see all of Christianity is kind of hanging on a knife edge of what's going to happen. And so what happens? Why does this letter get written? Well, the Philippians who loved Paul dearly heard that he'd been arrested, was stuck under house arrest, and was being watched 24 seven by the Roman elite guards. And so they send one of their own with some money because they thought, how can we help him in this time? How can we, how can we care for him? How can we show the love and the gospel that we have for this man? So they sent one of their own with some financial donations to look after him. And so this is why Paul ends up writing the letter because someone's come and now Paul needs to respond. And so to me, it's fascinating because you, you see in Paul, near the end of his life, having spent his whole life going around planting churches and he begins to respond and how he responds to the Philippians, I think is so pivotal, especially for us as we think about that image of a personal relationship with Jesus and what does faith look like? And is it wider than just me and God? What you see here is Paul opening up that description. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you open them up to Philippians one. We're going to be working through just the very first few verses um, together. And we're going to be looking at specifically one thing that Paul says. Uh, so the Philippians opens up with just a few letters of greeting. So it's Paul and Timothy writing to you, the saints of Philippi, as well as all the deacons and overseers there, grace and peace to you in the name of our father, our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to these opening verses. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now there's so much there. I wish we had time to unpack. There's, there's the fascinating things that a man in jail at the edge of wondering if he's even going to survive his trial begins with thanks and praise and joy parades through this entire letter. But there's one word specifically that is so fascinating to me. And it's, it's this word here. It's partnership. He's filled with joy and he's filled with thanks because of the partnership that they have with him. 
And now it's sometimes confusing. Language is complicated. As we learned this morning, words can have lots of different meanings, eh? And there's different nuances. When we read this in English, partnership to me is always about money. But that's because I worked as a missionary. If any of you have worked as a missionary or worked overseas or have ever received a newsletter from a missionary, you would know that partnership equals giving because we feel too crass to say, thanks for giving me your cash. And so instead we say, thank you so much for partnering with me in this project. Have you ever had that? If someone wants to ask you for money, they don't say, hey, can you give money to this? They say, I'd really like you to partner with me on this. And so it's easy for us to read this and think, oh, Paul is super happy because he's just gotten a load of cash from the Philippians and now his life is going to be easier. Particularly if we come from uh, our economy where everything is based on profit and income, we can read it and think Paul's just stoked about cash. But partnership is just a, the word that's used there is so much more significant and wide reaching than just a transaction of money for this, goodness for that. The word that's used here is koinonia. And it's a fascinating word with far reaching implications. It's, it's language goes so much deeper on the surface. It means partnership, uh, fellowship, uh, communion or togetherness. Um, it's that sense of being together. So on the surface, it's easy to understand what it means. He's thankful for the togetherness, but we have to understand how this word has been used and the framework that comes with it. See what you see is togetherness pervades so much of what it means to be the gospel. When you think about Jesus, through Luke, one of the things he most commonly does is he eats and he eats all the time. You may not have noticed it, but you read it and he seems to be having a meal like every couple of chapters, which in one sense is kind of weird, but in another sense is actually really wonderful. Like that's the kind of God I can follow if he's sitting down for Kai all the time. Right. And so what you find is Jesus eating, but what's fascinating isn't just that he's eating, but it's who he's eating with. Commentators have often said Jesus was killed because of the people that he chose to eat with the people that he sat down with this rabbi who should have looked out and looked out and made sure that he fit the ritual purity laws and didn't sit with unbelievers or Gentiles. Instead you find Jesus sitting and fellowshipping together with tax collectors, prostitutes, women, zealots who are ready to overthrow Rome and Pharisees, everyone across the board. You find this sense of koinonia, this togetherness, this community that Christ embodies And it was so radical that the world did not know what to do with it. And so it eventually was one of the reasons that it got him killed. That same sense of togetherness that you find in this word koinonia also shows up later. It shows up in the book of Ephesians as Paul is dealing with this church that has Jews on one side and it's got Gentiles on another. And the Jews find the Gentiles really hard to be with. So they say, look, it's a lot easier if we could just worship like Jews in the synagogue, like we're used to worshiping. And all the Gentiles are like, look, we don't want to have to go through the surgery that's needed to be like a bunch of Jews. So how about we'll just stay over here and do our own worship thing in our own certain way. And that was the way it was kind of going. And Paul writes to them and says, no, no, you can't do that because that's not the gospel. Don't you know, because Jesus is Lord, the walls that divide us are gone. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, but the great mystery that God has kept hidden for ages is now revealed that in Christ Jesus, we are all one family, one new people, one koinonia, one together, one communion, one fellowship. And if you break that up, then we are breaking up the message of the gospel. 
The word also shows up again as well in the very beginning of Acts, right after Peter has preached this amazing sermon and a couple of thousand people respond and they gather together. What do they do? They gather together and koinonia. They fellowship. They break bread. They meet one another's needs so that no one amongst them was hungry or left alone. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. This word koinonia is what developed into the same word that we use for communion. That sacred, one of the most sacred events that we have as a church, that moment where we gather together around the bread and the cup to celebrate Christ's death and resurrection. That word is koinonia, holy communion, holy togetherness, holy unity. And so when we gather around this table, even here, there's a sense of the same word, the same partnership that's happening as we come together. See what Paul was so excited about wasn't just that he got some financial cash. What he was excited about was that a church in the midst of persecution, just like he was persecuted because they were both in a rough place. Paul locked away in jail, guarded by the Roman elite, but Philippians were having to stand in a really difficult place. Philippi was a Roman outpost a Roman colony in the midst of Greece. And they were very Roman. They were like proud to be Roman. They're hard out Roman. They didn't want to be known as anything else. And one of the things that would happen is that in this city, there was almost, they were so Roman. There was a cult of emperor worship where they would gather together and they would worship the emperor. So anytime there was an opening to a ceremony, opening to any sort of games or any sense of official trading, they would, they would gather together and they would perform a ceremony where they hail Caesar as Lord and savior, literally those same words, they would gather and say, hail Caesar, our Lord and savior. And so you've got this small church of slaves, Roman soldiers and women and merchants who somehow had to be in the midst of that and say, um, he's not though. Caesar isn't Lord and savior. Actually this Jewish guy who you crucified, is that through the entire city, it questioned the very way they structured their society. And it made it very, very difficult to be a Christian in that context. And so you have Paul and the Philippians, both in very difficult conditions, facing very difficult circumstances. And what is Paul so excited about? What is he so thankful for that he rejoices with joy? It's the koinonia that they still have. That in the midst of their frustrations, in the midst of their persecution, they did not splinter. They didn't fall apart. They didn't move off into their own direction. They were still together. See, we, it's easy for us to think about faith as Christ and me, a personal relationship that's just about me and him. But what you find in Philippians is Paul widens it and says that the gospel is not just about making this happen, but the gospel needs to make all of these things happen. Christ, you and me. Christ has relationship with me. I have fellowship with him through what he has done. You have fellowship with Christ through what he has done. But because of that, now you and I have to have fellowship together. And if we do not have that, then we don't have the gospel. Let me give you an example of this. Um, a few years ago, uh, I was part of an outreach and 
there was quite a simple thing. So right near our location, there was a nightclub. And it was, I mean, it was quite a posh part of England. So it really wasn't like a sketchy nightclub. It was like where all the posh kids would go to like have a crazy night bender and then get home like really hungover the next day. But one of the things we noticed is that often so many people would go there and they would drink so much, they would come out, they would lose their friends and they would just be basically lost, stuck outside this nightclub when they couldn't get back in without any clothes or warm jackets. It was most terrible. You'd see all these girls who went in there to club in these skimpy little dresses in the middle of England in January, and then they would get kicked out and they were stuck outside their purse, their phone, and their friends were all inside and they were stuck outside just waiting until their friends came out, often for hours, not actually sober and drunk and left alone there. And so we thought we joined together with a few local churches and we thought we'd do something quite simple. We were just going to go there. We went with some blankets uh, so that we could hopefully cover up some of these poor women who were freezing. Uh, We went with bottles of water that we just stuck a little verse to that basically just said, God loves you. And the water was to hopefully sober up some of these people. And for many who were vomiting, you could kind of rehydrate them. And then we went with a giant bag of lollies, mostly because you had all these guys who were real aggro and would want to start fights with one another. And it's amazing to see how like a little lolly can like disarm this angry man. Like he'll be ready to fight. Like, you want me, bruv? You want me, bruv? What you got, bruv? You're like, you want a lolly? He's like, oh, yes, I'll have the red one. Thanks. It's amazing. It's like the best way to diffuse a situation. If someone's angry, just offer them some candy and it usually worked out all right. And so we would do this night after night. We'd be there from like 12 till three in the morning, just hanging out with people, giving them bottles of water, giving them some lollies and putting some blankets around some of the girls who were quite cold. And one evening, a really, really profound thing happened. As we got there, one of the taxis pulled up and some guys came out and we were there pretty early in the evening. And so we were at the stage, we were still sticking these stickers onto the bottles of water that just had this verse that said, God loves you, right? And we're just doing this. We have to do this for a couple of hundred bottles of water. So there's a group of us, we're gathered around a table putting on stickers. And as these guys come up, one, one guy who's uh, wonderful, um, he comes up, he's like, what are you guys doing? We're like, oh, we're just putting stickers and bottles of water to hand out to people as they're coming out of the club. He's like, oh, really? You're like, yeah, it's just seems like a normal thing for people to do on a Friday night at 12 in the mo- at 12 at night. He's like, that's weird. We're like, yeah, I know. And, um, he's like, well, can I help? And we're like, uh, sure. I, I guess why not? And so this guy sits here with us and begins to put stickers onto the bottles of water. And as he's hanging out with us, it becomes more and more apparent that he's, uh, he's quite a flamboyant man and he starts flirting with some of the other guys around him. And you're like, okay, cool. You're that way inclined. That's fine. And so we start putting these stickers on. And what this fascinating thing is all of his friends went in to the club and they're like, mate, come on, let's go in. And he's like, um, nah, I'm good. And we were kind of dumbfounded by that a little bit. Like, oh, why would he stick out? He's like, no, I'm having a good time out here. So he just stays with us. And I'm not kidding, for the next three hours, he just hung out with us. We chatted with him. We heard about his story. We told him about what we were doing, that we were this church. We were with these local churches wanting to care and love our community and let them know that God loved them. And so if the little things we could do, like a bottle of water and a blanket and a lolly could do that, then we wanted to be a part of showing that. And he just loved it. He just had the best time. And so for the entire night, he hung out with us while his friends were inside. And one of the fascinating things happened is at the end of the night, his, came, his friends came back out and they went on their way. And we didn't think much of it, partially because that night I was looking after a girl who puked all over my shoes, which is a little awkward. Um, but they kind of made their way and we didn't think anything of it until the following day, we got this long email from this guy just thanking us 
He said, look, mate, I went there. Uh, I'd had a, had a rough week. Um, and so I went there to just have blow off some steam with my mates. And you guys just really shook me. And one of the things I didn't understand is like, and, and I'm gay. And my entire life, I've felt like I haven't had anyone in the church who's ever actually just hung out with me or laughed with me. And it was fascinating because I knew you guys were Christians because of these verses on your water bottle, but I felt like I was home. I felt like I just had the best time in my night, best, time, best night in years, just hanging out with you. Thank you so, so much. And for us, we were so struck by that. Because often it's so easy for us to think about when we need to do faith, that we need to share the gospel, we need to tell them about here are the things that you need to do. This is how you need to become a Christian. This is how you need to get your personal relationship with Jesus. So much of our concentration is on doing and emphasizing this aspect. But that night we realized that the gospel was preached, yes, partly through that. Those verses were there and then he knew what we were about. But the gospel is also preached this way. As he joined into the koinonia, the together, the community that we had gathered around that table. And this verse is striking for us. This word koinonia, this partnership that the Philippians had with Paul is striking because it makes us realize that who we are together is just as important as what we do. Here at BBC, we run some great programs. Alpha this past term was fantastic. Had a couple hundred people here and we got to communicate the gospel in an amazing way. We do some wonderful community outreaches. We run some amazing events and we work really hard to try and make sure our Sunday services are, are slick, are, are, are good, that good content and people are able to enter in. But the challenging thing about this verse is it makes us realize is that we can focus on getting these elements of the pyramid done as well as we like. But if they don't enter into a community of love, of fellowship, where people get to know them and hear their story, where they sense that they are at home and belong here by relationship. If we don't have that, then we haven't preached the gospel. If people can't enter into our community and sense the love of Jesus, then we don't have the gospel. And it's challenging and terrifying. And you realize that's why Paul is so strong with churches when he says, do not grumble, do not gossip, do not engage in vain jealousy or telling lies about one another. Because you realize as soon as you do that, you begin to erode that koinonia, that community, that togetherness that represents what God is doing. Because if Jesus is truly our Lord and Savior, then he has rescued us for relationship with him. And he has rescued us for healthy relationships with one another. And so it's this theme of partnership, of community, of koinonia that pervades all of Philippians. And it's why we've called this series Collab for Collaboration. Because as we look through this book these next few weeks, we're going to understand that as we partner together, Christ, you, and me, together, that shows the gospel to the world in our relationships and how we relate to one another. And so today we're going to finish a little bit differently rather than having the band come up and lead us through a song. And rather than having us pause and have a moment to reflect, what I want us to do is I'm going to finish with a prayer. And then I'd like us to use the little bit of extra time to engage in a bit of fellowship, stick around in our cafe, find someone you don't know and go and introduce yourself, ask them a little bit of their story, 
grab one of the paper bags and think how can we engage in that community because these paper bags in Kaimanga is a fantastic way for us to show this partnership to our community and to our local context. How can you engage a little bit more in that sense of koinonia? Is there a small group you could go and be a part of? Get to know someone in your local context. Do you just need to go and sit and say hi to someone? Get to know your neighbors. We're going to finish early so that we can go and participate and embody and live this sense of koinonia and community together. Because as we do, Christ, you and me together, we can reflect God's healing and powerful and transformative gospel to the entire world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is wonderful but terrifying when we realize how much emphasis you put on us loving one another. How you said to your early disciples that the entire world will, that the entire world will know that we are your followers by the way that we love one another. Lord, that is a humbling responsibility. But I thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to help us do it that your spirit is working at binding us together. Lord, I pray for us here at BBC in this local context with us as a family. Holy Spirit, would you fit us together into your community, into that sense of togetherness, that sense of love and fellowship and caretaking and partnership, and that as we love one another, your gospel would be proclaimed in our relationships. Lord, I pray that this house, this family would be a place where people can feel like they are at home, like there is a community that they can belong to. Open up our eyes to see the people who are alone or lonely next to us and give us the courage and the grace to go and come alongside of them. Make us into your family, your church, your koinonia. In your name we pray, amen, amen.